what makes me. This is what I am. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four. Today, we have a very special guest, someone that truly inspires me, Jerome Fulton Jr. Jerome graduated from University of Southern California with a master's of accounting and from University of Florida with a Bachelor of Science in Accounting. Jerome is also a certified public accountant. Jerome currently works as a consultant at the world's largest professional services firm. Let's learn more about his journey. So I would like to begin the podcast by learning a little bit more about yourself. So has there been a moment or lesson that you've learned or experienced during your childhood that helps define who you've become today? Ooh. Yeah, I would say um, life happens. And I realized that, you know, I was born, my dad was killed when my mom was eight months pregnant. And then my mom was killed when I was five. And so I remember like as a kid, my aunt would like have all of us pray. And she would always say like, you know, pray to God and, you know, anything can happen, anything can happen. And like I would, you know, always constantly prayed and just, you know, I always knew that my situation would get better, but I kind of adopted that life happens. Like we all have an expiration date. You know, we all have a beginning and an end. And it's all about how you make, you know, these moments count. And I realized that early on. So, you know, I always tried to keep my parents' memory alive. And because they, my dad died at 24, my mom died at 26. I'm 25. I'll be 26 wow. next month. You know, so I'm in that phase of when I'm right in the middle or on the tail end of, you know, when both of them passed away. And I learned that you just got to live life and you got to go for what you want. And I kind of learned that from my mom. My mom was a very fearless person. She like, she lived life like freely and she loved hard. And that's kind of something I adopted as a child, like to set goals and accomplish them. But most of all, love people. So you've really endured a lot in life. And for you to overcome those obstacles is amazing to hear. It seems like you were dealt certain cards, but you decided to create your own story. Yes. And um, I remember I was talking to my godmom. She has a very similar story to me. And I didn't know that as a kid. Um, I found that out like later on as I grew up. And she told me, you know, you can't control the, you can't control the cards you're dealt. And that kind of stuck with me. And that was in 2014. And I always say that you can't control the cards that you've dealt, but you got to play to the, the best of your ability. It's like uh, uh, you're playing spades and you don't have not one spade in your hand and you have no face cards. You're just stuck with like threes, fours, fives and just a crappy hand. But you have to own it. And you got to make people believe that in yourself, believe that you're going you're gonna to be great at it, regardless of what you have. So, you know, you got sometimes you got to bluff, but you got to work hard. You got to, you know, be strategic. And a quote that I love is um, when life throws you lemons, you make orange juice and keep the world guessing how you did it. Well, that's pretty cool. But it also seems that like your religion also helped you develop certain morals and values from the things that you just told me that also helped you um, persevere through mm -hmm. through everything that you've been through. Yeah, it's I, I believe the quote, faith, faith without works is dead. I agree a thousand percent. Like I like I know for a fact that I had to have some type of angels or, you know, God, you know, steering my life because I've seen 
so many things and I've been in environments around you no know, drug dealers as a kid and you know I like some of my childhood friends you know you know died violently and this is the lives that my parents live and even some of my relatives that I lived with you know it was very it could have went left real quick like I was not on a straight and narrow path like I remember as a kid I was like a, extremely angry like I used to rip up my chest as a kid and fold my arms so like I had a very bad temper and I, I I could always remember after like I would lash out that like one day like I can lash out and it can be not ripping out a test. It can be physically harming somebody or myself and I could do something permanent off a of temporary um, emotion. So, you know, I will always, you know, pray and, you know, ask for guidance and always, you know, tell people to pray for me. Like even if I didn't pray for myself, I always kept a circle of people that uplifted me and prayed for me. And I'm a big believer in energy. Like I, like I'm a believer in God, but I like, I always try to use the, you know, medium of energy to connect with people because not everybody is spiritual. Not everybody is religious, but I'm, I'm a believer that if you speak positivity and you be positivity, positive things will happen to you. And it's not going to, they're not always going to happen to you, but you know, if you speak things into existence, they'll happen. Like the, the tongue is very powerful, even aside from like being a believer of God and, you know, being religious or spiritual is just that, you know, it's practical, you know, speaking positivity and doing positive things will yield positivity in your life. Um, I also read on your website that your passion for accounting started with a store that your aunt created um, yes. that was dedicated to your mother. Yeah, so my, my mom's sister, uh, her maternal sister, had a store called Angels. First, it was Angels Beauty Supply Store. So she had a beauty supply store in Miami, and then she changed it to Angels 99 Cent Store. And so every day after school, I would come and I would work on the cash register. So my aunt has five kids, and there are like four of them that are in my age range. But for some reason, like I kind of took a liking to work in her store and I was good at it. So like I knew how to ring people up and you know, cash registers are pretty like outdated now, but um, the kind that she had, but you know, just looking at numbers and I started calculating tax, you know, automatically. Like I didn't even have to ring it up anymore. I can just say someone bought something for a dollar. I would say it's 106 or $3 is, you know, 318. Like it was instant with me. And so like passion for numbers and business like just came from that 99 cent store and we had it for about since 1999 to like 2005 six so about um six seven years and that's kind of where i honed my business skills and learned about inventory like i remember counting inventory like as a kid seeing how many you know shampoos or how many bags of chips we had left so when we would have to go to our supplier to get more stuff like just keeping record of it and i remember reading my accounting books and like my audit class doing like inventory cycle counts and all that stuff. I'm like, dang, I did this at seven, eight years old. This didn't realize, I didn't realize at the time, you know, the magnitude of, of, of that, that 99 cent store. And now I know how um, much it impacted my career and my passions. Yeah, so it's crazy how things come full circle sometimes. Mm -hmm. So is that um, what ultimately led you to majoring in accounting? So I remember when I was in... I was in the ninth grade and I knew I was gonna do something in business. It was either finance or accounting. And I went on the internet one day and I was like, all right, 
let me look up business majors and I saw accounting and I was like, okay, I saw that the, the, the unemployment rate was zero. The job placement rate was a hundred percent. I was like, okay, finance accounting, same thing. So I knew that I was going to be either a finance or an accounting major or both. And I remember one day I was in my pre-calculus class and my teacher was like, you should major in accounting. I was in 11th grade. And I also remember my ninth grade teacher told me that I was good in math, that I should do like finance or accounting. And so I looked up the requirements one day and then I was like, okay, CPA, bachelor's, master's degree. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. So like I, I have my high school yearbook and in my high school yearbook, it said that I was going to be an accounting and political science major and I was going to go to Florida A&M University. That's like in, under my yearbook picture. Speaking into ex- existence. And, you know, I didn't go to FAMU, but I still went to school in Florida and I graduated as an accounting major. So um, why did you select University of Florida to pursue your studies? Um, so at the time I was so when I was 12 years old, I moved from Miami and I moved to South Carolina with my dad's family. And so like my family kind of had like a, a heated custody battle when I was a kid. And so like I would go, I would live in Miami and I would go spend like summers and odd Christmases and Thanksgivings with my dad's family in South Carolina. And um, when I was 12, I ended up moving there. And I stayed in South Carolina for about five years. And when I was 17, I moved back to Florida. And then my my aunt who, I, who raised me after my mom died from the time I was five till I was 12, she had decided, who, she, the aunt who owned the 99 cent store, she decided that she was moving to Atlanta. So I was like, dang, I wanted to go back to Florida. You know, my senior year, I wanted to graduate from Miami Carroll City Senior High School. My mom went there, all my friends went there. Like I would follow them on MySpace and Facebook and I would see all of my friends I grew up with were you know, at this school. So I was like, okay, perfect. I'm leaving my senior year, going back to Miami. You know, plot twist, we move into Atlanta. All right, get to Atlanta. Um, and my all I wanted to do was get back to Florida. So I was applying to all like Florida schools. Like I applied to a couple of Georgia schools, but I was like, I'm going back to Florida. So I got into UM, FAMU, FSU, UF, UCF, like all the Florida schools. And then um, ultimately UF gave me the most money. The University of Florida has this program called the Match in Florida Opportunity Scholars Program. So you have to be a Florida resident you have to be a first-generation college student. Your total family income, household income, has to be under $40,000 a year. And of course, you have to get accepted to UF. And so they had this program. And I was like, I remember I saw it on the, the website. And so I, you know, as soon as I saw it, I emailed the, the lady over. Her name was Karen Fuchs. She no longer works at UF. And I was like, hey, I'm eligible for this program. I'm a first-generation college student. I'm a Florida resident. You know, um, I got accepted to UF, like I need this scholarship. And she was like, well, just because you qualify doesn't mean you're gonna get it. But long story short, I ended up getting the scholarship. It's a wonderful scholarship. It does so much for, you know, first generation college students and minorities. I know like me and one of my cousins actually received the scholarship at the same time. And we both graduated from UF together. It's like a, a wonderful program. And, you know, UF was definitely a cultural shock, but it definitely taught me a lot of things and it definitely um, alleviated, you know, my financial situation because me not having a mom and a dad and not having anyone to call on for my necessities, it made it easy. Like I would get a refund check where I was able to, you know, sometimes even send money home. Like I would 
like able to buy like my clothes, my food and having excess to kind of sometimes save for the next semester. And like I even paid for my summer classes every year with my refund checks that I got from, you know, spring and fall. So I never had to take out loans in undergrad. So when I got to grad school, I took out a small loan and I was able to pay that off, you know, when I started working within you know six months of working. But thankfully, I didn't have that debt. You know, and that's what ultimately, like, you know, I chose UF. And also UF, it wasn't just a money thing. UF, like, had the top accounting program in Florida. And it was a, it's a top 10 undergrad program in accounting. So I was like, you know, this is a win-win. I get to go to one of the best accounting schools in the nation and I get to go for free. Like, why not? Yeah, I think they also have the highest CPA pass rate in Florida. Yeah. Yes, everything worked out well. It, it did. And I'm grateful. And sometimes I would say like, you know, what if I went here? and What if I went there? But, you know, ultimately, I felt like I made the right decision. I made a lot of connections and built a lot of relationships. And, you know, it it definitely um, made me broaden my horizon and made me way more open minded than I would have ordinarily been, I think. So you mentioned that when you first um, went to UF that it was a culture shock. Was it because it was your first experience being like the only minority or the only one? So coming from Miami, like being a minority to me was never really a thing because like I never saw Hispanic people like Hispanic or Latino people as being, um, you know, different for me like I'm like well we're all people or, or white people I'm like we're all people like I remember like mom like my mom had a friend he was an Arab guy and like he would even after she passed away he would come pick me up like when I was five I had a white babysitter so you know what I'm saying it was easy for me to connect with people but you know the culture shock came and it was just like wow like there are no black people here like there are you know majority other people here not black people so and just being like it was like being a small fish in a big pond versus everybody just being equal because I kind of had a balanced life like I grew up around you know my family was black but I went to school like I had white teachers that I love you know I went to the same elementary school from pre-k to sixth grade so like all the teachers they knew my story they knew what happened to my mom they knew my family so like it was like a loving environment, regardless if they were black, white, or whatever. But now I'm going into an environment where it's like so many people that I couldn't connect with, and most of the people that I grew up with, we had similar socioeconomic statuses. So now it's like I'm around people that you know are you know wealthy white people and wealthy you know Asian folks that I can't even relate to you know at all. Like I, sometimes at all, it would just seem know very crazy and then sometimes I was the only black person in my class and that just felt really weird and although I had connected with other groups of people before I had never been the only one so it was just like very weird for me at the time like it's like a campus of 50,000 students and then you know the population of black people were like eight percent so what that's like four thousand a little over four thousand then if you break that amongst undergrad and grad the numbers are even less if you're looking at undergrad, so, and then even going to the business college and then more specifically accounting, the numbers were drastically lower. So sometimes it was just like, I couldn't relate or, you know, I had certain family problems that were going on that I knew that my peers, my, my white peers couldn't relate to because a lot of them, 
you know, grew up very privileged and not all, but, you know, a lot of them did. And some of them would try to relate, but a lot of them couldn't. And then, you know, it kind of forced me sometimes to be in a, a black bubble at UF because, um, you know, I could relate more to the first generation college students who sometimes people didn't have food or, you know, we didn't have cars or, you know, just not having resources or us sharing the same experience of being the only one, only black person in the class, experiencing microaggressions. Or I remember this one incident on Facebook. We had a um, UF textbook exchange group. And um, one time this girl like picked an argument with me and she said that the only reason why I got into this school was because I sold the president marijuana. What? Yes. It was, it, that was crazy. And then that all like, that just made me like hate my experience at that moment. This is my freshman year. And I'm like, I can't believe people would say these things. And then it's like, dang, like, and that was the, you know, the biggest culture shock because in Miami, I don't remember experience racism. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I kind of, it was like a, we all loved each other. Like, it was just, that's what it was. Of course, now that I'm older, I realize it's not like that. But being young and having those, I guess, that, that that innocence, you do it that way. But going to college, you meet people that, number one, have never been around a Black person a day in their lives. Like, they, you know, their idea of Black people are rappers in the videos. And if you don't speak, you know, talk with slang, they don't feel like you're Black enough or they don't feel like you're down or immediately they want to start speaking to you in slang and thinking that's the way to connect with you and like it was just like it was definitely like hard being a black person in white spaces however it prepared me um going into corporate america and not all of my experiences were bad like i had great experiences where you know most of the kids in my class were white you know my upper division accounting classes so we studied together like you know, we walked together, talked together, set it in libraries. We, you know, interviewed for internships together. Like, we still talk to, to this day. Like, you know, when I would see some of my, you know, friends from college, you know, that didn't necessarily look like me. When I'm, like, traveling for work and I'm like, hey, you in New York? We would catch up, you know. So I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to experience, like, people as a whole. You know what I'm saying? But there were definitely some challenging moments where I wanted to transfer and I wanted to give up. But I'm happy I stayed the course and I made some great, you know, allies and, you know, friends at UF that, you know, are like lifelong friends now. Like some like I remember like my um, marriage and family teacher when um, Trayvon Martin was assassinated. Um, she looked at all the kids and the, there was a march in downtown Gainesville and it was during her class. She was like, what are you doing sitting in here? Get up, go march, go out in the streets. Like it was powerful to see a white woman to encourage us to skip class to go mark everybody not just the black students to go march and support Trayvon Martin and like that was powerful and I'm like I don't think I would have saw that at any place other than UF so like you get them you know it's not diverse I'm not going to act like it's just super diverse in terms of ethnicity but in terms of like you know diversity in thought diversity in action you do get that. So now that you've entered corporate America, do you think your experience at UF of being the only one sometimes helps you when it comes to not wearing a mask and being your authentic self? Yes, and, and I'm going to be very um, transparent. Like, I remember going into corporate America and I was like, okay, my name's Jerome. 
that's ghetto. So let me go by a nick. Let me go. I'm serious. Let me go by a nickname because it's gonna make my experience easier. People aren't gonna mess up my name. Is like oh, so I was like okay, you know what? My friend called me JJ, so I was like you know I'm just call myself Jay. And I realized that was the biggest mistake ever. Like that, like to me that was part of covering. Um, but that was one thing that I did and that I regretted later on online. But as far as like you know what I the things that I enjoy, like the music, foods, you know, I never hid that. If I did like watermelon, I would say I did. I love fried chicken, and I'm gonna say I like fried chicken. So if I'm gonna go get lunch and get fried chicken for lunch or Chick-fil-A, if somebody look at me crazy, we gonna have a conversation about it. I'm all about um, sharing my experience and letting you get to know me and being transparent and seeing who I am as a whole. Because sometimes we'll find that we have more similarities and differences. And you have definitely prepared me for it because the same like type of people that were at UF, I'm working with them because like the recruitment strategy, you know, the you know companies, you know, corporate America, they go to PWIs a lot of times. And I'm not going to say that everybody is the same, but it's a typical, typically a homogenous population where you find like predominantly white men, white women at these institutions that you recruit from. A lot of them come from, you know, similar backgrounds. You know, the majority are probably middle class, upper middle class, or even beyond that. You probably find a select few that are part of, you know, the working class. But you, this, you know, being around people that are different than myself, definitely, uh, you have definitely helped me with this, this experience, especially being the only one. And you have taught me that I didn't like being the only one. Like, I'm not a black person that, you know, brags on being the only one. I hated that. I hated being the only one. And not just because of, bearing all the weight of being the only black person is because that I want to pull more black people in with me. I want all, I want as many black people as possible, not just black other people, you know, of different ethnicities to have a seat at the table. So it's not about being the only one. It's about having a seat at the table and me, you know, having, you know, an esteemed job and being at a prestigious firm, you know, I was able to get at a seat at the table and tell him when I'm talking to partners and saying, Hey, you guys are not hiring enough black people. If you guys can recruit from, you know, University of Florida, you can go to FAMU, you can go to Howard, you can go to Norfolk State, you can go to North Carolina A&T. And it's about having that voice so I can have more seats at the table and they can see that we can do the same thing that they do and sometimes better. Sometimes for me, being the only one feels depressing because I feel like I don't have anyone that I can relate to. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes that can happen, but my challenge to you is try to find people that you can relate to that doesn't necessarily look like you. Like, for example, uh, my first year of working at UI when I was employed there, um, this one of my good friends, I'm not going to call her a white girl, but she's a white female, my good friends, Katie. She took me to get my wisdom teeth taken out because I, I don't really have like a lot of close family in Charlotte. And so I couldn't drive there. She took off from work, dropped me, took like waited there the whole time, took me home, bought me like mashed potatoes and everything. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, granted, she's a you know a white female that you know you know comes from a privileged background. Like her mom worked at Accenture, and her dad and her family owns car dealerships. So our like backgrounds are like completely different whatsoever. My parents didn't even graduate high school. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like they never, like my mom worked here and there, but they never probably worked a job longer than a year. My dad definitely didn't work. So like 
we come from very different backgrounds, but, you know, we were able to connect just off. We both went to, you know, you know, college. We both got a master's degree. We both passed the CPA. So we had a lot of similarities. We both worked at EY. We both took, you know, non-traditional paths, even though we studied accounting, we were both in consulting. So beyond the surface, we had a lot of similarities. Granted, our backgrounds may not be similar, but our aspirations are similar. Our, you know, educational backgrounds are similar. Our career aspirations are similar. So sometimes you have to look beyond skin color and shared, like, um, shared, shared black experiences, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you can, you can find that, like, I like talk to people all the time, like different people. And granted, I'm going to be honest, like I haven't met a person that's not black that I can relate to as much as I relate to a black person, just being honest. However, I have, you know, found myself relating to many people that don't look like me. Like right now at Deloitte, the guy that I relate to most is an Indian guy. We talk like every day. We ping each other all the time. And it's because we both, you know, studied accounting, got our masters, did the CPA. We both worked at EY and came to Deloitte. So we have a lot in common. So we were able to connect on things other than, you know, shared um, ethnic or minority experiences. You know what I'm saying? So that's I find you. And also we are, you're not a monolith. You're not monolithic. You're a multifaceted. You are, and that's what that's why you are hired because you're bright. You can connect with anyone. So sometimes we got to step outside our comfort zone and start to embrace other cultures. And 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 sometimes I don't like to put that onus on black professionals because we already have a lot on our plate. But being in a space where we're not the dominant people in terms of like the numbers um we have to sometimes we have to like you know what you might have to try some foods that you not may not necessarily like and not just to connect with people also to expand your horizon like you know you may not you know want to spend ten dollars every day on lunch your coworkers, you know may have the money to do to do so you know but you know sometimes go take that walk to that restaurant and bring your food and see if you can eat your food in there or bring your food and come back to your desk just to walk and talk with people. Or I remember one, one activity that my prop, my team did was that we all picked a song that we liked. Um, and when we went out to eat, we played it and we played a guessing game um, to see who, like, whose song it was. But that gave me a chance to learn more about my team and say, you know what, you like this song. Let me check out this artist because, you know what, they may not know who the Migos was. Like, I remember... When Power was on, it's like the biggest show on stars. And I'm coming back to work. I'm like, hey, did anybody watch Power? They was like, what is that? What? How can you not watch Power? And then I remember they were all talking about Game of Thrones. I heard of Game of Thrones, but I didn't watch it. You know what I'm saying? But it's about taking initiatives to, you know what? Sit down and catch up on the episode and see if you like it. So just because you try new things doesn't mean you're being, you know, you're not being yourself or you're being unauthentic. You just got to branch out sometimes and don't, you can't be afraid to try different things and fly. Thank you for that advice. No problem. So I saw that, I think last year you posted on LinkedIn that you officially became a CPA. Yes. Do you have any advice for students that desire to pursue the CPA designation? Um, yes. I would say if possible, 
get your job to pay for your Becker or CPA review course. That's number one. Um, set up a, a, a schedule, a, te- a te- um, study schedule so that you can study and talk to as many people as possible just to get insight. There are going to be some people that freak you out. There are going to be some people that, that make you think the exam is easy, but it's good to hear everybody's story because like when I remember the first exam I took, I, I actually took it during grad school. And like my mentor was like, oh, I failed this my first time. And I talked to other people. It was like, well, I like I passed it. It wasn't that bad. And I just hearing all those stories and doing my research and, you know, strategically taking my like setting up time to take my exams and giving myself enough time to study like work for me. Like it's hard studying and working. So I would say that if you can take it before you start working, especially if you're going into public accounting or the big four in general, take it before you start working because busy season hours can definitely kill you. Um, definitely hard time studying. I know a couple people that are experiencing that now, you know, striking that balance between studying and, you know, working. But I would definitely say get Becker. I did Becker. Becker was amazing. It broke everything down. Like It's like basically if you have a, a, a small understanding of accounting, they break it down to that much. Like what is an asset? What is a liability? And it was great to, you know, break down com- concepts that I thought were daunting in undergrad that I was like, you know what, I'm never going to figure this out. I don't really care. Let me skip it. Um, Becker is definitely great. Another thing I would say is that when you study, when you're studying for the exam, I would say learn 100% of 80% of the material instead of trying to learn it all. Because if you're trying to spend time trying to learn everything or memorize everything, it's impossible. But if you can remember, you can memorize 70 to 80% of the material and know it like to a T when you get on that exam and you see those, you can get those questions like right without a problem versus like you vaguely knowing a hundred percent of the material is like, uh, yeah, I know some, some of it, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to, to take my approach. You have to be comfortable like getting on that test and seeing material. Like, you know, what? I'm not that sure about it. you can flag it and come back to it and just remember that, you know, once you get into a, a, a Tesla, as they would say, they're all worth, worth, you know, the same amount of points within that Tesla. So whether it's a, whether you think it's hard and you think another one is easy, skip it. If you think it's hard and it's daunting, skip it, come back to it and, you know, get the questions that you know is right. Because it's a time exam. You don't want to spend time on a question, spend 10 minutes on one question within a Tesla that you can spend, you know, 15 seconds on another question within that same Tesla and get it right. You know, you're, you're wasting your time. You're not putting your resources within, um, you're not utilizing, you're not maximizing your time, basically. Because it's a timed exam. And also, I would say, after each exam, give yourself a break because sometimes it can be mentally exhausting studying, you know, that amount of time. Like me, I gave myself a couple weeks for each exam just to knock it out like in my couple weeks was studying like every day like like eight hours like every day and I would take a break you know on weekends but Monday through Friday when I during the summer before I started working I would study for like two to three weeks every day and then knock out exam and then afterwards I would not start back studying until I got my test results because I could not study for another exam if I hadn't passed the other one 
especially if I got like a 74 on the section, I'm like, you know what? I'm about to go retake that right now. Let me brush up again. I'm gonna retake it versus moving on to the next section. That's how I did it. Other people kind of like progressed and went on to another section and just took it. Um, but I couldn't operate like that. But I guess high level, does this a circle back? I would say, you know, get a CPA review course if possible. Get your company to, to pay for it. Um, two, carve out a study plan, you know, just to kind of, you know, see you know, how much time you need to knock out an exam. You know, get, you know, input from, you know, mentors and peers and other people that have successfully passed exams and people that have not successfully passed exam because you can see what they did wrong. You don't want to fall victim to those traps. And um, another thing that I resource that I would recommend is another71.com. It's like a, a CPA forum with people that are currently taking tests and people that are that have passed tests already. You can get a, a bunch of input. Sometimes it can be very daunting, but me, I like having more than enough information and more than enough experiences and not having any at all. So another 71 is a good forum to be on to you know, read up on different um, trends about CPAs and different um, the, the exams and different experiences from CPAs and you know, current test takers. Wait, so you study eight hours a day while in school and working? So when I was in, so my first one I took February 2016, I was in grad school. Um, so I was, I was taking 12 credit hours that semester and I only had classes Monday and Wednesday. So I had Tuesdays and Thursdays off. So I would like do maybe about two to four hours Monday and Wednesday and I would go hard um, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and I would take a break on the weekends. Maybe get some studying on Sunday, but Saturday was my day to just chill or like to relax or go do something for me. And I, I studied for audit for about two to three weeks and I took it. And then um, I took my next one in June and August. I took audit first and then I took BEC in June. I took FAR in August because in July, I um, became an RA for Upward Bound, so I couldn't study. And then I took my last one up while I was working. Cause I just gave my, my mentor was like, just take a break. You've been studying all summer. You've been working, like give yourself a break. I wish I would have never took that break because I took it while I was working. But granted, I had just started. So things weren't that hectic. So I was just studying while working and then I just knocked it out. Your time management skills are amazing. You, you had like study, if you really want to become a CPA, you will make sure your time management skills are amazing. And to be honest, I do not have the best time management skills. However, like I knew that was a goal that I wanted to you know, accomplish and achieve. So I was like, I'm, I'm gonna make it work. I literally wrote out a study plan and I just stuck to it. I was like, okay, this day I study this day, you know, on the weekends, I'm not going anywhere, I'm gonna take it. And I was like, you know what? I kind of got fed up with studying. So I was like, you know what? Let me set a test date and I'm gonna get ready by this date. Sometimes, and that's another piece of advice, pick a date because you will prolong studying unless you have a date. If you need a date set in stone, pick it just so you can start studying to knock it out. So since you've graduated with your master's of accounting at University of Southern California, you've worked as a consultant. So why did you decide to pursue consulting versus traditional accounting careers such as audit and tax? Got you. So um, over, during undergrad, I interned with UTC Aerospace Systems, G Capital, and their FMP program 
and I did an audit internship with PwC. And during my internship, like I realized PwC was an amazing company. Like I like all the big four are amazing companies. Um, and I, I was able to go to Belize and teach financial literacy that summer. But what I realized is that like, I like connecting more with people. And I felt like audit wouldn't give me that um, day-to-day interaction right away. And I felt like consulting allowed me to be more creative and allowed me to um, sh- um, show my problem-solving mindset. Well, use my problem-solving mindset. And so I remember, I and this is why networking is key, because I had met the office managing partner of EY. His name is Malcolm Coley at a conference at Wake Forest back in January 2014. And I would email him every so often. I was like, hey, Malcolm, you know, these are my grades, you know, like, um, you know, on my, you know, still on my accounting journey, you know, here we go. Let's make it work. You know, just just to keep in contact with him, like, you know, this, you know, this is what where I am right now. And when I interned with PwC that summer of 2015, I had actually saw Malcolm um, and just walking down the street downtown and he was, you know, we talked and, you know, he was like, Hey, I remember you. And we just started striking up conversation. And I remember at the end of my internship, I was like, you know, I didn't really want to, you know, do audit, but I was like, Hey, this is the only thing I have on the table. And I remember going like flying to California and being in orientation. And I was texting one of my friends that was at EY. He was actually in, in consulting. And he had studied accounting. And I had also met him at the same Wake Forest conference. We were just texting during orientation. And he was like, hey, I'm in this program. I was like, well, I don't want to do audit. He was like, I'm in this program at EY called BAT. You should look into it. So I started researching the program. I sent him my resume. And then I started reaching out to all the EY recruiters that I knew. And I hadn't um, accepted my um, audit offer yet. So I still had time to like actively pursue other offers. So... Um, Every EY recruiter was like, well, you should do audit and then switch over afterwards. And me, I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. So I emailed the office managing partner of EY, Malcolm, and I told him what I was interested in. And then he um, you know, put me in contact with some recruiters. He said, hey, I can't guarantee you a job, but I can put you in contact with these recruiters and you know, you know, see if we, you know, if you know you're ready to move on to the interview process. And you know, that's it. So I had a, a I had to submit a writing um sent do a writing sample, and I had to do a phone interview, like a three phone interviews. They went very well, and then I flew out to um, Charlotte from LA, and I got the offer. And I was like, well, I'm gonna you know start my career with EY. I declined my off my audit offer, and I started with um, EY, and it was a, a, a great decision. An extreme decision. Like I learned, you know, not saying that you can't learn a lot in audit. You can audit skills are. You know, truly valued, and that you know, auditors are amazing people. Um, I just felt like my personality and the things that I wanted to do that I'm my career more so aligned with you know, consultancy versus auditing. So, networking was very key to landing your consulting role. Do you have any other advice on what students can do to land a role in consulting? Because the interviews are, they tend to be a lot more difficult than mm-hmm. other interviews. So one shameless plug I'm going to put out there is called Jumpstart UGrad. So Jumpstart is a conference that was started by J. 
two guys. One name is Elton, the other guy named is John. They were um, Duke MBA graduates, and they both saw that you know there was a, a need for a conference that brought highly intellectual, you know, minority students um, with you know top tier companies. And I went to that conference in undergrad, and they had like the best of the best there, like. Bain, BCG, McKinsey, Deloitte, UI, KPMG, you know, I um, investment banking firms, all of that. And that's it. And you can go as early as your freshman year. So that can definitely get you into the pipeline and start helping you building your um, problem solving and case solving skills. And I know the case interviews tend to be pretty daunting for people, but practice like do case competitions. All the big four firms have like international case competitions and know join those case competitions um another thing i would say apply to the um pre-professional development programs like the different conferences that the companies offer and a lot of them offer them exclusively for minority students so definitely look into those and reach out to people on linkedin because i'm a person if you reach out to me on linkedin nine times out of ten i'm gonna respond if i don't respond it's because i forgot to so I'm the type of person, if you reach out to me about, hey, you want to learn more about this position? I'm going to respond to you. Like a guy that I met in Charlotte, he has an interview coming up with a, with one of the big three consulting firms. And he reached out to me. He was like, hey, Jerome, um, I see that, you know, you started with Deloitte. I have an interview with this, this firm. I've never done a case before. Can you help me out? I said, sure. We talked for about 45 minutes. I talked to him, you know, gave him some tips on cases and gave him some resources to look at to help prepare him. So when he goes into that interview, he'll be way more prepared than he could have been had he not reached out to someone. So definitely like, re- like put yourself out there to reach out to people. There are tons of resources online to prepare for case interviews. You can go on YouTube, look up case prep um, tips. You can go on Wall Street um, Oasis. It's a website where it's like a forum where everybody talk about, you know, different questions that consulting firms ask and the different types of interview styles from each company. Because each company has an interview style that, that's going to be completely different from the next. Some companies don't allow you any, like, pens and paper. They just read stuff to you and you got to memorize it. Others give you paper. The other, other ones give you an actual case to read and then ask you questions, you know, based on what you read and then also... Um, hypothetical scenarios so reach out to your network like I feel like I have like a thousand plus connections on LinkedIn you're one of my connections now you have access to all like my network just by knowing me so if I don't know I can refer you to somebody that do know so I will always say reach out you're not always going to get someone who's as responsive as me but you might do and that like to me it's, it's worth it reaching out than not than not reaching out so like putting yourself out there and utilizing your resources. Everything is on Google these days. Everything, even things that shouldn't be on Google are on there in, in, in relation to employers and the types of case style interviews they have to, you know, for, for consulting interviews. So like just utilize your resources and that, that, that's people, you know, the internet, um, YouTube videos, all that. So put yourself out there and don't be afraid of rejection. That's one thing I can say and use rejections as a a stepping stone to get something better.
So your your current role at Deloitte is finance and enterprise performance consultant. Yes. So what does that role entail? Like what type of work do you do? So within FNEP, that's our um, acronym, um, so you solve financial problems, whether it's like due to like an implement, say, say for instance, a company wants to improve their reporting, you know, software, whether they use SAP or Oracle, you know, we do like finance implementations, we do process improvements, whether you want to improve how you handle, you know, your accounts receivables or your invoicing or even like your, your revenue recognition, things of that nature or, you know, cost, cost optimization if you want to, you know, bring us in to see, you know, different ways to, you know, reduce costs or to kind of assess, you know, your environment, your, you know, finance or even marketing environment to see, you know, what areas you can like, you know, eliminate or reduce. You know, we kind of focus on, you know, finance improvement, performance improvement space. So those kind of projects across all industries, we have um, TMT, which is our technology, media and telecommunications um, practice that you can join. Um, consumer, financial services, um, real estate, I believe is one. Uh, what is the other? Um, a couple more like that you can be a part of. There are many um, industries that you can um, be a part of within the finance space. So, you know, our clients are, you know, all the major, you know, companies and even smaller companies. We also have healthcare as another industry. So we handle like finance and finance strategy, process improvement, um, cost optimization, and you know, all, all those topics within any industry you can imagine. And some of our, um, within FNEP, finance and enterprise performance, we have different capabilities, whether it's like finance and blockchain solutions, strategy, um, um, technology and innovation, you know, supply chain. We even have, you know, within FNEP, we even have supply chain. So we cover a very broad spectrum of different projects. And I'm, you know, new to the firm two months in and, you know, I'm still, you know, learning and, you know, learning the ropes and seeing what's out there. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm new. I, I know a lot of the, the terms and buzzwords because, you know, I'm new and I, you know, all of this is fresh, but I was shocked to see how much you know Deloitte actually has to offer in the different projects that you can get involved with. So do you find your CPA to be beneficial in your current role? Absolutely. Like the type of projects like that, I, that I've seen and, you know, witnessed other people beyond like, um, you know, whether it's like doing a financial reporting implementation, you know, you have to know chart of accounts. Basically, you need to know your asset classifications, your liability classifications, equity classifications and all that. And, you know, having accounting background, having a CPA definitely gives me a competitive advantage in that. And also when, you know, I don't know if you're familiar how, with how consulting work is consulting works. So when we want to get a, a new project or a new client, you know, other consulting firms are getting those clients as well. So you ha would have to prepare a pitch and, you know, a, a presentation and go through orals, meaning that you and, you know, maybe 10 other or five other consulting firms will be presenting to the client to say to say why I'm the best person and 
you know, if you have a, a finance accounting related project that's dealing with like a, an accounting implementation, like accounting information system implementation, you know, having a CPA, you know, on that project or even listed as a potential practitioner can help you win that work because it's like, yeah, that, that CPA shows credibility, you know, like, you know, this guy, you know, is qualified. So, you know, having, you know, a, a CPA on the team or saying that, hey, I have, you know, CPAs and a broad mix of other, you know, professionals with, you know, professional certifications will definitely give you a competitive advantage when trying to sell work and when actually dealing with clients because, you know, credibility, like having certifications gives you credibility and that matters with clients. Not all clients, but, you know, if you think about it like this, if you were going to hire someone to do your taxes, you want to hire a, a practitioner to do your taxes, one has a CPA, one doesn't, and they both have the same uh, amount of experience and they both treat you well, you're, mo- you're probably more likely going to go with the CPA. And that's the bottom line. That's, that's you know, with, you know, companies as well that are looking to hire consultants to do work. So to switch gears a little bit, um, in your bio, you mentioned that you are really passionate about the community. So mm-hmm. what has been your favorite experience or project so far in terms of community service? Favorite experience? Um, I would have to say um, teaching financial literacy and police. I did that about going on four years ago, and that was like my favorite experience overall, just because I was able to go to another country and help out, help, you know, other, you know, kids that look like me learn about, you know, finances and bank accounts and, you know, teaching them things that we take for granted here in the States. And it was a, a great opportunity to step outside of my my I guess my bubble and see that everyone doesn't look like me and to really value and appreciate the things that I have because it's so easy for me to say like dang I don't have a mom and a dad and I went through so much as a kid it's easy for me to throw myself a pity party but seeing how with a mom and a dad you know how some people lived and how they didn't have access to the knowledge that I have and I'm taking it for granted it really like woke me up and made me realized that I have to do more with my life. I have to give back. And that was like the catalyst for me to start doing other things that I do. Like I do free financial, like literacy, financial consulting sessions to different people that help them manage, you know, their finances and teaching and teach them different ways, like different investment avenues. Like I don't tell people what to invest in. I can tell them how to invest. Like, hey, you know, you probably need to, you know, invest in a 401k, invest in a Roth. IRA, you know, you know, put, you know, have six months worth of, you know, bills put up. And that's one thing that I do for my community. How did you gain that type of knowledge? Honestly, Google. Oh, really? Literally because, yeah, because I didn't have anybody to teach me it because everybody in my, fam- in my family has or had bad credit, especially when I was like, you know, coming up. I remember when I was um, going like in college and I was getting an apartment and no one in my blood family could co-sign for me to get an apartment. 
Like I, I needed a guarantor and I had a family friend that actually did it. And for me, it was like, okay, I need good credit because when I have kids, I don't want that to be, you know, a reason why they can't get something that they want or they need. So I was like, okay, well, how do I build, build my credit? Okay, you know, pay bills on time, you know, get a credit card, you know, pay my credit card off every month, you know, don't use, you know, certain, you know, don't use more than 30% of my utilization. And all this was on the line. Like, Nerd Wallet is a, a great resource that I use, Credit Karma. And once I've, you know, seen it so much, I, you know, started to, it became second nature. And one thing I would do is that, you know, sometimes I think like the credit card hot, like Wells Fargo has like 24 hour customer service. I remember one day I was on the phone like at 2 a.m. with a representative asking her so many questions about credit, utilization, credit scores, FICO scores, and the different type of scores that are used to calculate, you know, your final credit score, how they do it. I remember when, and that helped me when I bought my first, when, when I bought my second car from a dealership. Like I, you know, built up my credit. I had two credit cards at the time and I was like, okay, my credit is decent. And I was like, okay, let me go get a car. And no one had to co-sign for me. And I still have this car to this day. So it was me not having, um, you know, the resources that I need and people. And I went elsewhere and found it online. And I knew that I wanted to become that resource for somebody else because I didn't have it. One thing that I've noticed in our community is that a lot of people are actually afraid of credit because they think it's like a trap. Mm -hmm. and, and, and let me dispel that myth real quick because it is not a, a trap at all. Your mindset is a trap because people view credit because we, because in our community, we have such a, a negative connotation with, with credit because we don't know how it works. We think that, like, we hear the horror stories like, oh, when I turn 18, I got a, a Macy's credit card and, you know, my credit has been messed up ever since. But did you know that when you swipe the credit card, you're supposed to pay, you know, the balance off at the end of the month? Did that ever occur to you? I realize that most people view credit as additional money. They view credit as when I run out of cash, I can use my credit card. But no, that's not how it works. How I use credit is I use credit for my everyday expenditures and I don't use my cash. So when the month comes, guess what I have left over to pay my credit card off? The cash that I didn't touch. So you don't spend all your cash and then revert to credit. That's not the way it goes. Like, And then me, I have six credit cards. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to, you know, buy a home at 24 because I built my credit, you know, in my early 20s. So when I turned 24, I bought yeah. a home. And that's because I understood that credit was my best friend and not my enemy. Because I knew that I, I didn't have, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars to purchase a house in cash. I knew that I would have to, you know, get some type of credit or some type of loan to get it. And it's also like, and I think we we have an advantage being college educated is that we are around people, you know, many different people. And not everybody's gonna be from our community. And that's when we, you know, step outside of our bubble and learn from people that look like us and don't look like us. Because some people, you know, I, like I remember going to college with guys that were investing in stock and Forexes. And at the time I didn't have the resources to do so, but I wish, I would have 
taken the the opportunity to actually learn more then. So when I got the resources, it would be second nature to me to start investing and start doing different things. Yeah, I'm trying to learn Forex right now. It's like one of the biggest trends. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, that's the new wave. Crypto and then Forex came. So I would be careful with it because, you know, it's trendy. Like yeah. People do make money off of it, but it, 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 it doesn't hurt to learn about it. Yeah, everyone's a Wall Street banker now. <laughs> right. So I noticed that you're involved in a few organizations, organizations such as the AICPA, NABA, and the Urban League. So yeah. what do you think is the importance of being involved in organizations? Is it the network you gain, the events? I think all of the above. And I would say that it's community, like creating a sense of community for people, not just for yourself, but for other people to come to. Like with NABA, NABA's motto is lift as we climb. Like, I love NABA. I actually went to the NABA conference last year in Orlando, the national conference, and I was able to connect with so many different, you know, black people that are doing amazing things. Like, it was just a, a refresher to see so many people that look like me that are, you know, facing similar, you know, dilemmas and successes that I'm facing and some that are, like, way past the level that I'm at. Like, it, like, it, it inspires me to be a part of these organizations because I'm seeing so much black excellence and I'm seeing so much you know sense of community because a lot of times we don't see that we see like us tearing each other down on social media but within these organizations I'm seeing them dropping jewels and sharing things like hey you know this is you know this conference is apply to this conference or you know this speaker is coming to x y and z or you know hey anybody in New York this is going on so just staying connected and networking and building relationships and also creating opportunities for the younger generation. I love NABA because NABA gives back. NABA's give scholarships. And like, we always think that we can give in other ways, but money makes the world go round. And we need money to keep our communities going. We need people and we need money. And we can't have one without the other. So in like like NABA and Urban League and the AICPA provide those opportunities for people. Like NABA has gives out scholarships every year. The AICPA gives out scholarships every year. Like I was fortunate to go to an AICPA conference and you know see all that they give to people. And then me going to that conference, I became uh, uh, an inclusion champion for the AICPA. So I love the community and I love the impact. That's to me that's the biggest part. It's the impact that others leave on you and the impact that you leave on others. And you can keep you can um, keep that cycle going. It's like a ripple effect. Like, you know, I pay my NABA dues every year, $300. And that money is being used to fund scholarships for other people. And I, I love that. I love the fact that we are paying, like, it, like those organizations give give you the opportunity to pay, pay it forward. And it directly impacts people that look like you and I. Yeah, and you're a NABA mentor, right? I am. So um, actually my NABA mentee from, I think two years ago now, hit me up. He's applying to grad school and I gave him a list of grad schools to apply to. And I gave, I gave him two three conferences to apply to that he went to. And he texted me like, you know what, thank you so much. Because he just went to Indiana, Indiana University this weekend. They have a program called 
accounting exploration is to help you know increase minority enrollment in their masters of science and accounting program and so i went in 2013 and 2014 i was part of the, the first class that they had and fast forward to six years later from when i went i have my mentee you know going and he could potentially go and then also two of my mentees graduated from that master's program virtually debt free in 2016 yeah 2016 and one of my mentees just graduated from there in 2018 and the mentee that graduated from there in 2018 i met her at the aicpa conference and i connected her with some folks and guess what now she passed her seat she graduated from you know indiana university which is a top you know accounting program she now has a job at ui and she passed her cpa so i like seeing the impact that i'm able to make on other people and now guess what i didn't go to iu but my mentees did so when my NABA mentee you know wanted to inquire more about it i had somebody to connect with him about it that actually went through the program you know that to connect with him and to give him more details that i couldn't so you know that ripple effect is, is continuously you know going and for my current NABA uh, mentee um i told her about inroads and you know that's the first program that I got my um, internship with and she's not an accounting major so I'm utilizing you know other resources that I know about to help her get plugged in and get internships and you know so when, when it's her time to be a mentor she can give those same resources to her mentees. While you're doing like a lot of amazing things in the community to help others that's great. Thank you I appreciate it and I do it because I didn't I didn't have those resources growing up so now I want to be that beacon of light for others that I didn't have, I didn't see growing up. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. So I have um, one last question. Thank you so much. I know we went like 30 minutes over time. No, nope, um, no problem at all. No problem at all. So the question is kind of off topic, but if you could have mm -hmm. any superpower, what would it be? If I could have any superpower, um, it would be to bring back people from the dead I would as I would bring my mom and my dad back just so they can experience life with me and I, I never met my dad so it would be a great opportunity to to meet him and to you know experience life with them because I'm an only child and not having them definitely has fueled me to do great things but it also has left a, a permanent void that nobody can feel so you know it would definitely, like, I would definitely have that superpower to bring somebody back from the dead. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, with your background and story. Um, so thank you so much uh, for joining me. And I, do, I do have one one thing. Oh. One, one person thing to say. Um, well, two things. First and foremost, the views of myself and the views of this podcast does not reflect the views of my employer. I am a separate entity from my employer. So the things that I say are a representation of me and not, you know, any organizations that I'm affiliated with, you know, my employer or my previous employer. And one thing I want to um, leave off with everybody is that get the opportunity to know yourself and to step outside of your comfort zone because Seven years ago, I was not open-minded. I was very shy. I didn't really speak to people. I didn't believe in networking. I believed in me, just doing what I got to do to get me ahead because I felt like I always relied on myself 
to um, get ahead, but rely on the people that are around you and take time to know yourself, know, know the things that you're great at, know the things that you're not so great at, and build on, build on those strengths and assemble a team to build on those weaknesses. So not, don't change, you know, you, some things you cannot change about yourself. You know, I can't be 6'5". I max out at six feet and a half inches. However, I got some friends that are 6'5". So if I want to get a pickup game of basketball, you know, I got a team of people that can help me out. And so there's, there's truly no I in team and your network is your network. So like, do not be afraid to reach out to people and to, to, to build your ship because that ship is going to help get you to the championship. And I also want to thank you for reaching out to me and thank you for having this platform, you know, to, to recognize, you know, young black professionals. And, you know, just, just thank you for being you. I really appreciate you and I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you also. No problem at all. All right, if you made it this far without skipping, thank you. I appreciate your support and this will conclude this episode.